The following is not legal advice coming from an attorney. Nothing more than a father speaking from his own experience. Should you need actual legal advice, contact an attorney. It's time for another episode of The Father's Truth. The show where real men band together, stand up for father's rights, and bring the father's truth out of the darkness, out of the darkness, and in to the light. Giving fathers a voice everywhere. A broadcast brought to you by the Father's Lives Matter Network. Here's your host, Alan Donovan. All right, good evening, everybody. I am Alan Donovan, and this is, of course, the Father's Truth. Now, this was originally supposed to be last Friday, but I got sick. It's that time of the year again where this shit is just flying around, so we're doing it tonight. On the show tonight, I have got Taj from Bombay, India. That's right, we're going all over the world to India tonight. When she was on the show last time, she told us about a situation involving her brother, it had lots of the same stuff that everybody in the States deals with, fathers in the States deal with, um, false allegations, um, alienation, all kinds of stuff. So it's not just something that happens here in the States. That is something that happens around the world. So we've got Taj back on to talk more about her brother's situation, give us some updates, and we're also going to talk about father's rights and men's rights in India. That's a huge issue right now in Indian society. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and get Taj in here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry about no, that. No, oh, not a problem. That happens. I've, I've got a couple of different accounts. I've done that from time to time, too. So, not a problem. So, last time we talked, um, you, you told us about your brother and his situation, what he was dealing with. We had not gotten to the court stuff yet. So, if you want to yeah. just give us a quick recap about your brother's situation to keep uh to catch people up who did not see the previous episode yeah yeah so actually i'm just gonna like i think i think one of the main things that happened during the course of his marriage was uh in the first year i think she just tried to like figure out how much she could push his boundaries and how she could figure out how to control him how to manipulate him and how to distance him from friends and family um, I would do have advice for men on this because I do feel uh, all women know how to manipulate a man. Let me tell you that. Even the good ones, they do know how to manipulate a man. I think one of the best ways to do it is to tell him that he's not man enough. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, uh, and it is, uh, we, we all have this tendency, I think today, all of us women, we do tend to say, we do, do, do tend to emasculate a man. It, is, it just comes very naturally to us. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, saying that he's not man enough, he does not support you. And uh, we have all these expectations of men. And we say, you know, you're not supporting us, you're not standing up for us. And we use it a lot of times, even when uh, it comes to a man's family, his friends. And uh, we expect him to stand up for us, even with these people who absolutely love him and wouldn't do anything to hurt him. And they've never done anything to hurt him throughout his life. They have proved time and again that they are his people mm -hmm. but we managed to convince him that they're not good for him or because they're not good to us and uh, most probably they're actually not doing anything to us you know they're probably there's no situation there's nothing bad going on in fact they're probably making that effort to uh, make things work or make things better but I think we somehow managed to convince a man very easily by just telling him he's not man enough so 
So my why, why do you think that happens? Why do you think women do that? I think there is an innate need um, in a man also to be that protector uh, for a woman. And I think uh, it's the easiest way, right? Yeah. It is the easiest way to get what you want. Um, so uh, I think manipulation, I also think control, you know, threatening a man with what he loves most and saying, you're going to take that away. I think the child is the best yeah. thing to use. Uh, and that's a, the best way to control a man. And, uh, uh, you know, I think the way society is today, we act like as though, uh, you know, men don't care about their kids. There's a strange yeah, notion absolutely. that men don't care about their kids when actually they all really, in fact, everything a man does is for his family. Yeah. Why would a man work so hard? Why would he earn that living? Why would he bother to take his family on these big fancy vacations? Uh, it's really only because of, you know, because he wants to provide and he wants to do these things for his family. Uh, a lot of men actually don't need too much. If you think about it, <laughs> a lot of men can live with very little. Well, I, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're basic. We're very basic when it comes yeah. to that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I noticed even with my brother, like throughout his marriage, he never bought himself clothes. It was weird. And like, I used to go uh, abroad and I, or I would go, I would go shopping for him. I would buy him a shirt or whatever, but he never actually bought himself anything during the course of his marriage. And uh, so I realized men actually can live with very little. It's the demands that are on them that make them do everything that they do. So to, to say that a man does not care about his family or does not care about his child is to me the most bizarre, crazy thing. So I always, I, I mean, I, I tell my brother even today and I would tell any man that I meet, like just rationalize with yourself and say, what are the things I am doing for my family? Like a lot of men are sticking it out in a job that they absolutely hate mm -hmm. just to provide for their family. Well, to and, me, that's and, huge. And, and it's a huge common misconception. And I was talking to a coworker about this yeah. very thing that we're talking about right now, earlier today. <laughs> you know, there's this huge misconception that fathers, like you said, they don't care about their children. Yeah. Number one. And there's another huge misconception that, you know, they're not, uh, they're staying in a relationship to avoid child support. That was another huge misconception that came out today. And I'm like, no, dude, yeah. it's, it's not that they're trying to avoid child support. They're staying yeah. in that relationship because of their kids, because they have this misguided thought that, hey, if I stick it out with my child's mother, it's going to be better off for the kids in the long run. No. It's doing yeah. more damage to the kids because the kids are going to yeah. grow up thinking that's how a relationship works. This toxicity that's surrounding it. Yeah. Misconception about fathers. Some of them also don't want to get out of the marriage because they have consulted with a lawyer and they know that their child most probably will be removed from, from their life and they won't be able to have, like see their child at all. So a lot of fathers stay in the marriage because they know that the legal system yeah, does not they support have access, them at all. If they stay, so. yeah, if they stay in the marriage and they stay with, you know, let's be realistic here, a shitty wife, yeah. at, at least they will still have access to their child because if they get divorced and they split up, you know, the courts are going to yank those kids right out of their life and they're going to have to fight and scrap for every little bit of time that they get with those kids. So it's easier in the long run just to, you know, sacrifice your happiness, you know, sacrifice yeah. your peace of mind 
to still be with your kids on a daily basis. Yeah. And that's what so many people don't understand. Absolutely, absolutely. The third thing is, I think, you know, the, uh, this, most women tend to do this. They tend to distance the man from friends and family. I mentioned this earlier, but I feel like, you know, it can't happen without a man knowing. Like, I do want to say, like, you are an adult. You should be able to figure that out. I mean, everybody is watching Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, <laughs> you know. And yes. I I'm not saying I'm crazy about the establishment, like the, the royal family or anything like that. It really doesn't matter to me. It doesn't make a difference to my life. But I just look at it as a guy who's, who's actually helped his wife alienate him from his family yeah. and is now going to feel very alone and whatever it is whether whatever his father did whatever everybody else did i think his brother and he definitely would have a very close bond and because they've been through a lot together uh and they are the only ones you know who definitely have that bond with their mother they know what she went through they know what happened what actually happened in the family and i feel it is crazy that as siblings he, he today does not have that closest bond with his sibling anymore it, it, mm -hmm. it just you know it's completely broken and he's probably feeling all alone and today the only person he can depend on is his is wife right like, yeah. she is the closest person to him so all the people that he loved that loved him today just aren't a part of his life yeah, they're gone. So yep. I do, I, I would like to urge men to think about it when their wife is telling them to behave badly or stand up for them with their own family and friends who they've always had a good relationship with. And only after this person has come into their life, things have changed. I think they need to ask themselves whether it is really worth breaking that relationship over this new one. You know, you and, know? And, and that happens so frequently. And, you know, I think a lot of men make that mistake when they get into that relationship, whether it's getting married or it's just a girlfriend, you know, yeah. they, they see that girlfriend and they go, oh, yeah. And they just throw everything else away. You know, they'll throw yeah. away friendships that they've had their entire life. I've seen that yeah. for this person. And then when it inevitably does not work out, they're left with nothing. Yeah. They don't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out because they, they burned every single bridge that they had for that person. And especially if you are with a covert narcissist, um, it, it is actually dangerous if you are all alone and you feel like you cannot go to anybody, you can't go to family, you can't go to friends, and you literally cannot get help from anyone. It is a very lonely place to be in. And... Uh, most men in that situation do commit suicide. Uh, and But you've kind of done it to yourself because you are an adult. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying the abuse isn't real. The abuse is real. Yeah. Okay, you are, there is gaslighting. There's all of that that's happening. And you will be confused. You don't expect someone you love. You do not expect someone you've chosen to spend the rest of your life with to do this to you. But... Uh, I think the red flag, these are the red flags. So if you are in this situation and you do see someone constantly telling you to be a man, constantly uh, trying to uh, create a divide between you and your loved ones or threatening you, no relationship can function with threats. No. 
you know you can't always have a sword hanging over your head you can't always have someone telling you they're going to take your child away or even before the child is uh, comes into the picture even saying they are going to leave yeah. i think at some level like when you decide to commit to someone or to commit to each other neither of you all should keep throwing that threat that i'm going to leave or this relationship is going to be done someone who does that like you just know they're threatening you well that's probably it happens so frequently it it always is yeah. amazes me when i talk to people like in my real life not here you know on social media or anything like that because i do talk to a lot of people from around the world that deal with this kind of stuff but in <clears> my <throat> real life you know i was talking to a coworker today that was telling me about this situation that he's got with his wife and he goes you know she flat out told me that she loves to emotionally mentally and verbally hurt somebody and i said really he goes yeah she she like gets off on that and i said well how's your relationship with her well yeah you know and he kind of got quiet for a second well you know it's really not that good and i said okay you realize that if she gets off on doing this to other people at some point in time you're going to be on the receiving end of that yeah and he goes well yeah you know i never really thought about that i said at some point dude i'm telling you she's going to make false allegations against you i can already see this a million miles away coming down the track and he goes well she already has and i was like why are you still with her come on yeah well you know yeah. if it wasn't for our kids i said okay stop i said that yeah. right there if it wasn't for the kids i said you need to do better for your kids i said because you're setting your kids up for failure if this is what they think a relationship is Mom yeah. threatening you all the time. Mom belittling you. Mommy masculating you in front of the kids. That's what they're yeah. going to grow up and think. And he has daughters, which makes it even worse because they're going to yeah. grow up and they're going to emulate what mom did to all their yeah. boyfriends and, and husbands down the road. It's just it's a cruel fucking circle. And it's very convenient, right? Like it works well for women. I mean, yeah. you know, it is, and it's it's actually there are a lot of women who are on the fence. and they feel there are women who are misusing the law but they're on the fence because in some way they feel it's convenient so they don't well, want justified. to actually that's the other part yeah. they're justified in doing this oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Oh, and and I, i straight up i straight up blame the me too movement for that crap you know and yeah. i'm not saying that there are not women out there that were victims and because they yeah. absolutely are but you yeah. have this subset of women that have latched onto the me too movement and they've made victimhood into this little business this little business yeah. model for them and they're using it to get money and extortion and so on and so forth it's a very prevalent thing more than anything yeah. that i i know of as of late everybody's yeah. a victim yeah. of something absolutely and actually victims today are glorified It's almost like overcoming victimhood is not a big deal, but staying a victim is glorified. Well, that, I think that's, that's where the money's at. That that's yeah. where the money, the power, the prestige. We have put victimhood on a pedestal for yeah. especially for women. If you are yeah. a female who has been victimized, we put you up yeah. on this huge pedestal, you know, and you can basically just about get anything you want. It's sad but true. Yeah. I hate to say that because that be spurches the women that are actual victims you know yeah. god rest their soul i would not wish that on anybody but that's what yeah. it's done it's solely these women that have been actual victims of this stuff yeah 
absolutely absolutely there's one more thing i was um that i i i do feel like is another red flag generally in uh relationships like this i think uh a lot of these women you know when when a woman comes in and starts uh complaining or putting down the people that one would assume are important to her i think that's a huge red flag as well yeah. because um you know uh in my brother's situation she did within the first couple of months of marriage she had mentioned that a cousin of hers had molested her and her uh, in her grandmother's house and her mother and her grandmother her mother who's not alive today to defend herself and her grandmother uh maternal grandmother had told her not to tell anyone about it and definitely not to tell her own father about it so i think marginalizing the father figure in the family is obviously normal there okay. and uh, also uh, the fact that uh, they want uh, i mean if this is a true story i don't know if this is a true story i'm giving her the benefit of doubt maybe she was molested heaven knows and but it's an awful thing for her mother and her grandmother to tell her and to say let's not tell anyone let's not do anything about it that is absolutely crazy but this was a story and this same cousins mother actually helped her with this alliance so it was a very strange situation because i was like why would this lady do so much for you uh it just none of it added up none of it was making sense and then she also told us about this uh the same lady her sister who was again this girl's aunt uh getting married to a man who apparently told her to sleep with all his friends like he used to force her to sleep with his friends so a lot of these stories were pretty bizarre uh and she also talked about her father who was violent with her and her sisters so everywhere she was this victim you know and she was this flower that emerged from this you know she's the uh, we, she's the yeah. resin phoenix yeah exactly so literally everybody and she even talked about this uh, uh she even talked about the place that she studied at you know being a place where there was some kind of you know uh some kind of you know whether the dean apparently was kind of sexually harassing people or expecting sexual favors or expecting to be paid but these were all things that she said knowing very well that we would not go around telling other people um and you know i just think and all her three jobs when once she came came to bombay all the jobs that she worked at she claimed there was some kind of sexual harassment happening so there's there always and these are like, following this woman around yeah and hmm. this these are hospitals it's like you know you hear about this in film you don't hear about this so much in the medical fraternity i'm not saying it probably doesn't happen but it can't happen in like every single place you work at well, just, you know it just it's a little suspicious when you have somebody where no matter what they're doing no matter where they go there's yeah. trouble you know at exactly. at some point in time you start doing the mental math and you start going yeah. okay well the one coincidental factor is you yeah yeah absolutely and i would say i think it's necessary to do a background check mm. uh, i don't know uh, like in india with arranged marriage i would definitely recommend doing a background background check i don't know how you go about it but i do know once we were already in the situation and you know uh, the 
the she had already filed the false allegations done all of that a bunch of people at that point told us oh you should have put a detective on her and found out stuff about her before you guys got into this alliance and honestly it was an absolutely alien concept to me but today in hindsight i feel it would have saved us so much heartache yeah. so much trouble and uh, more importantly my nephew would not be in this situation you know and uh, like i think amongst everyone he's the one who's suffering the most yeah. so that uh, we you know that's true over here with all the stuff that goes on with yeah. you know father's rights and family court and everything you know the the true loser in these situations yeah. it's always the kids the kids are yeah. always the ones that lose out because they get stuck in this freaking tug of war you know and and that's the thing the thing that people never stop and think about is you know when our kids are born they didn't decide who their parents were going to be they just got stuck yeah. with whoever it was and they're the ones yeah. that pay the price you know over here right now we have this <laughs> epidemic where mothers are killing their kids every day Yeah it seems like every day I turn on the news there's another account of a of mother that either tried to kill her kids or did kill yeah. her kids. and nobody wants to yeah. talk about it. Yeah. That's the scary thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I think that is a very typical uh it I mean when I was reading up on covert narcissism it was one of the most uh like it was the highlight of everything that we were reading we were actually getting scared cuz one of the traits is that if they feel you are winning or you know you are getting somewhere in your case uh they immediately harm the child yeah. because uh you know it's the best way to get back at you and they honestly don't care about the kid anyway yeah. so yeah. that was our biggest fear about even winning to a certain extent you know even pushing for certain things or scared us because we were like you know what if she does she harms yeah. the child and uh, yeah. before we yeah. get get any order because the 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 courts here just take so long yeah. i feel like in the states it's a little quicker right it it depends on where where you're at in the country i mean i've seen some areas where you know it's a couple months out i've seen some areas where it's like years it takes to do stuff and i've seen okay. some areas where it's a couple weeks i mean there's really yeah. no hard and fast timeline it just seems like it's up to the individual courts themselves and and you know covid absolutely yeah. way behind but there's places that have caught up i mean in some of the bigger areas you know california los angeles things like that i mean they run people yeah. through one after another in family court but there's places where you know i know some fathers that have been on the docket for the last couple of years yeah. they're still on the docket they're still waiting to get seen yeah yeah no i mean it's this i mean out here it just takes years and sometimes like you don't get a visitation order for like years and you don't get to see your child for like i've spoken to i spoke to a man the other day who was saying that he's he hasn't seen his kid in like 2 years and in 2 and a half years and so i mean it's just crazy that the child doesn't even get to see him like there's no way that the court can just ensure the child gets to see their father and they don't it's almost like they don't even know the impact it has on the child oh well uh, I'm sure they probably know the impact they have it has on the child but I'm guessing they, they don't probably care because that's the way it is here. They absolutely know the damage that it does, but it, yeah. they don't give a shit because the longer that they string it out, the more yeah. money they can generate for themselves. And at the end of the day yeah. over here in the states, 
That's all Family Court yeah. is about, is all, the almighty dollar. That's what runs the show. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think even with, uh, I don't know. So the thing is, in India, uh, like, the Family Court does not make money off child support. Really? Uh, yeah. But I think they probably, I'm guessing, uh, with the harassment. Like, I think authorities harassing a man can definitely, you know, just, so let's, you know, let's make talk, a push. Let's talk about that real quick, because I follow you. I follow both your accounts, yeah. and then there's a couple other accounts out of India that I follow. Yeah. And the stuff that I'm seeing on your guys' accounts just blows me away. Women throwing yeah. acid in guys' faces and, yeah. you know, making all these false allegations. Is that, yeah. So my thought process from seeing all this stuff and from what I'm getting from it is this is a normal thing in India. This is what women beating their husbands. Yeah. Yeah. And these are educated women. And, you know, the, uh, I think last time we spoke about this and uh, you were like, oh, you know, this could be like narcissistic mm -hmm. personality disorder or like covert narcissism or whatever it is. And I remember saying, uh, you know, I think I, I don't want to make an excuse for anyone. Like I know therapists box everybody. Yep. And like for me, it's just like if you're a bad person, you're doing something bad. Like, well, let's just call a spade a spade and let's not try to make an excuse for it. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, so for me, it is just like that. Like, I don't want to make an excuse for uh, bad behavior. And um, I, th I think when they, it, it's literally become lucrative for a woman to do this. Like, she can, she can live her whole life on alimony, you know, has without it, working. Has it always been that way, though, in India? Um, no, I don't think it's all. It's not always been like that. I think women were at a disadvantage at some point of time. And actually, these laws were made to protect such women. And, uh, but I think also the idea that an able-bodied woman cannot fend for herself is to me a bit archaic. And I'm saying this even for an uneducated woman uh, because I do feel it's not like everybody in India, including the men, it's not like all of them have access to the best of education. So uh, if the men are expected to, you know, make a living, take care of their families, even without the best education, I think able-bodied women should be expected to do the same. So, um, you know, there are a lot of options. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's equality. Yeah. I mean, that's what yeah. that's what women have been fighting for. So I've been told they've been fighting for equality, which, you yeah, know, equal across the boards. If I got to go out there and bust my ass, you got to do the yeah. same thing. Exactly. And I do think... Uh, true empowerment is if you do have financial independence. So as long as you keep a woman uh, begging with a begging bowl, even through the legal system, you are actually not empowering her. You're actually saying, why don't you wait to get that money? So she's just sitting there with a begging bowl and hoping she will get money and she will eventually probably get that money. But that's not really empowering because she's constantly dependent on somebody else to give her some money instead of just working and being independent of everyone. So I feel if you truly want to empower women, this is not the way. No, um, no, no. But I, I think it suits, uh, I think it actually suits a lot of uh, feminist organizations to keep women uh, not empowered. Yeah. You know, I, I think it actually suits them because yeah, I uh, a lot of feminist organizations in India are funded by foreign countries. A lot of money comes in. Uh, and I think it also helps political parties as well when, uh, 
you know feminist organizations have some these funds it helps them with votes it helps them with everything so it suits everybody so there's no reason to change the system yeah no i mean that, that yeah. makes sense that's you know that's the way it is over here you know you keep everything the way it is and keep the status quo and that's what they're going to do and everybody's happy it's only the men who are uh, you know uh, literally being uh, i mean they're literally being squeezed financially squeezed and everybody else is making money off them so uh, it's just how it is like even the lawyers <coughs> they don't want to try anything different you know they don't want to try a new strategy they don't want to think out of the box yeah they just keep saying this is the law and i understand this is the law but i'm sure there is a way to fight this battle because it's not like the laws are blatantly against men there's there's different way yeah there's different ways to approach it but if you've got an, an attorney that yeah. is doing the same shit that every other attorney in the country is doing which is the bare fucking minimum yeah nothing's going to change and we see that all the time here when i talk to fathers and i ask him so you know what's your attorney doing yeah well you know he's not doing much you know i i have to send him multiple emails i have to call him constantly you know he doesn't want to do anything that i suggest he just says this is the way it is i hear that story shit yeah you know numerous times a week because that's what these attorneys do they don't want to rock the boat because they know they know where you rock that yeah. boat you start making changes there's yeah. no guaranteed thing with it is right now with fathers they can just string a father along for years and it's a guaranteed yeah. income yeah it's a guaranteed income for like years and i find like at least in our case i find we are doing everything like from keeping records to everything we are keeping like we have these hard drives we have like everything is labeled everything is done everything is in place so i feel like there's not much for the lawyer to, to do they just yeah. have to go in there and argue they can come up and we are even trying to come up with strategies but each time we come up with a strategy they say no that won't work this is the that's law the this is how you do it that yeah. is that, that is the other thing that pisses me off beyond belief when i talk to these fathers when i talk to them about their lawyer again and they say well my lawyer doesn't want to do what i want them to do and i my my thought process is okay you are paying that lawyer that yeah. lawyer works for you you need exactly. to remind them of that fact yeah you may have yeah. a piece of paper that yeah. says you have a law degree but guess what yeah. the internet i can research just as much as you can and you need to be doing what i want you to do yeah. that's the thing that pisses me off most about that kind of stuff and a lot of But lawyers have big egos out here. I don't know whether it's the same out there. But like, oh God, yes. They have these big Huge. egos. Yeah, and it's so difficult. Sometimes you literally feel like, like you know, you are working for them. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, you know, how do I, how do I work the, how do I work with these people? How do I get them to do what I want? And there's a lot of like massaging of egos, and hmm. it, it's tough. It's a tough. Um, and and in addition to that you're going through all of these you know these emotions everything i mean this is your life you know yeah. and yeah. it is really frustrating because it's your life it's your child's life and um it's it's very difficult it is uh, i i don't know how men do it and i i mean i'm 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 my brother is going through it i feel like i'm going through it as well uh i feel very strongly about it but i also uh, realized that for him it must be like a zillion times harder you know uh to see his child being manipulated to uh to get orders that are against him 
orders that and the funny part is a lot of like we have had a case where the order like the judge has literally written two different stories you know that have nothing to do with our case but they've written those two different stories just to give a favorable order to the girl and i think that's when you know there is something wrong with the system it's not just um a question of following the law there are a lot of people benefiting from giving an unfavorable order and i think i think that's what's really frustrating and you just don't know how to get out of that situation so well, yeah uh, stuck in this yeah. box where no matter what you do no matter what you say or what you present to the courts they're still going to come back with that unfair reward we see this every day here in the states the courts here have this really nasty habit of giving moms custody who are drug addicts alcoholics yeah. all these other things and the court knows about it it's documented yeah. and they continue yeah. to do this we had a situation last week where uh um, yeah. the courts gave a mother back custody who was a drug addict she turned around and killed her son 10 days later after oh getting full custody back and the courts were well aware of her documented drug addictions her mental health issues and they turned around and gave her custody back and she killed her son that's the kind yeah. of shit we deal with over here yeah. it's the same kind of thing yeah and there's no accountability right yeah. like there's no accountability you know with the mother even with the judge i mean on what basis has he given them custody like is anyone going to hold that judge responsible probably and not. like yeah and like recognize that there's a child's life like it's almost like there's no value yeah. for the child's life no uh and i mean a, a child's whole like childhood goes in like uh with an abusive parent and i think that's what's really scary and we're literally raising a generation mm -hmm. with like an abusive parent and yep. we're allowing that to happen yep and um, it's, it just continues on into the next generation and unfortunately those children are going to inhibit those same issues that that parent brought forward and they're going to do it to their children and their children are going to do it and it just goes on and on and on and yeah. there's nobody to hold accountable like over here with these judges when they make shitty decisions like this you can't hold them accountable because they hide behind judicial immunity they're yeah. immune from the decisions that they render from the bench which is the biggest bunch of bullshit yeah. i've ever heard Yeah. If you're going to yeah. be making decisions on people's lives. Yeah. You need to be held accountable for those decisions and what those decisions render. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um yeah, so I feel like these were the red flags that I saw in my brother's marriage and I was like maybe this is something I should just mention. Uh but I will start with um you know after she made the bruises i think so she made the bruises back in feb 2019 uh, and uh, she started spreading rumors about uh, domestic violence within the community and amongst she would tell random friends different stories right to some friends she would claim that my brother doesn't want the marriage to some friends she would claim that there's been domestic violence to some people she would claim oh you know he's uh he's uh he's chatting with different women so it was a different story to different people um anyways once my brother discovered the bruises uh we were actually advised to 
uh, go to the local police station and just register that we want to be protected. Uh, uh, you know, we just want to be protected because we think that the law may be misused. So it's purely just registering this with the police station and saying, it seems like this girl is going to do something that is not right. And we just want a chance to represent ourselves. Because out here, uh, uh, I, I mean, with rape laws, at least, they can literally pick you up from your house and arrest you immediately just based on a woman's word with no proof. So uh, we did not know what the domestic violence laws were or anything like that, but they used to be uh, that they could pick you up, pick you, your family, everybody up, and just put you behind bars. Uh, wait, wait, they have pick your family up and put your family yes. behind bars as well? Yes. So they, they, generally the girl puts in the family just to put more pressure on, uh, you know, uh, the guy's family to settle. Wow. So uh, a lot of times they, they do. I mean, Alan, they have put in like, uh, like people actually, women have actually put in like a couple of uh, like babies, like newborn babies, their names as well. So the child and the mother are sitting in the police station, <laughs> you and, know. And your and your guys's government allows this? Yeah, yeah. What the hell? Yeah, they allow it. Wow. Uh, yeah, so it's a bit crazy. But I mean, now with uh, this particular act with 498A, they have they don't allow them to arrest you immediately. But uh, basically, but there is a lot of uh, pressure. Like, I mean, if you don't know the laws, like we had no idea, right? Like for everyone, it's the first time. You just keep hearing these things about people getting arrested. So you're actually living in fear. Like we were literally like, uh, you know, living in fear for those couple of months because we didn't know what was going to happen, how this is actually going to play out. And anyways, she finally, uh, we had a meeting with her family on 15th May. And there they acted like they wanted them to get back together. And they, uh, they insisted that, you know, uh, she, she was very happy in the marriage and everything. And she had no complaints and all of that. And this domestic violence thing was just a random rumor. They don't know how it came about. They also admitted, so she had gone to Bangalore claiming she was going there on the child's summer vacation. Uh, and on that pretext, she had taken the child to Bangalore. And during that time, she wasn't letting my brother speak to the child properly. Like he was allowed to speak to the child only like every couple of days for like two minutes or three minutes. And if my mom and I ever got on the phone and said hi, she would immediately disconnect the call. And uh, she anyway disconnected the call after two or three minutes uh, on a regular basis. So my brother mentioned that on the 15th May meeting. And he said, you know, if everything is fine, then why is she behaving like and uh, at that point of time, her grand aunt actually admitted that they were doing it because the lawyer advised them and said, this is the way to harass them. So this at that right. point of time, my brother was literally like, shame on you. Like, okay, the lawyer is saying whatever they're saying, but as a parent, like, how can you do this to your child? You know, and I think uh, at that point of time, we realized it's not just the girl. And that's why I'm not not so sure whether it's covert narcissism or whatever it is because it's a whole family supporting the girl right they're all in this together yeah. and they're all part of it they're completely okay with doing something that is not just illegal but it's unethical like yeah. you shouldn't be doing this you shouldn't be doing this to your own child but it's just not caring it's not caring for the child not caring for the, the father not caring about anybody and 
like literally having no scruples you know well, and, oh man that happens so to see so that happened in my own personal situation you know yeah. once we got past everything mm-hmm. and got our personal issues settled you know i come yeah. to find out that it was more so my son's grandmother that was back there pulling the strings like marionette yeah know? and i hear that many many times from a lot of these dads that you know they're not really dealing with their children's mother so much as their children's grandmother is where it's coming yeah. from a lot of times yeah so this girl actually her mom had passed away but i think her whole family believed that the way you uh, manage a relationship is by threatening so you kind of threaten and you say hey like if you guys aren't going to listen we're probably going to file a case against you but otherwise everything is fine and to us like that's not how you work a relationship like that's yeah. just not how that's uh, not how you solve exactly so anyways they they acted like everything was fine and all of that and she was going to come back and you know figure things out and uh, her aunt actually told my brother just don't call the child for 10 days she even told my um uncle to insist with my brother that you know he does not call to speak to the child and her and just gives her time to think so we did that but within those 10 days they went and they filed a police complaint an official complaint a first information report at the police station in Bangalore now even though that is not uh, in the jurisdiction of the marriage uh, like where the marriage took place mm-hmm. a woman in india is allowed to file anywhere anywhere she chooses to anywhere she feels comfortable the filing so she can so that's why you'll find i'm sure you've seen this with a lot of the posts from the people that you're following that uh, a lot of women are filing different cases on different men from different police stations so there'll be the same thing about that yeah yeah she'll file like eight rape cases at different police stations on eight different men and uh, that's completely acceptable so i mean that's an advantage that a woman in india has she can file from anywhere and it makes sense for a woman who's an actual victim because mm-hmm. she should file from a place that she feels comfortable in oh, where yeah. the man does not have too much clout yeah if she's got to get distance from her attacker yeah absolutely exactly. understand yeah yeah so these laws were made with the best of intentions but now they're just being flouted and used by women who actually have no issues they literally just want to uh they just literally want money and they're willing to do anything to get that money and the system allows it allows for it so uh so she filed this FIR and uh we actually did not know what had to be done and uh so we just went to the police station and we said you know what we'll just show all of our proofs and see what has to be done and what's the way forward so we actually just went like literally cold call like just landed up at the police station and said hey you know this is what it is and uh we found she had not given any proof but we were giving all our proofs at the police station and uh they of course they conducted the interrogation and all of that my advice to men in india is don't get upset with the cops when they ask you questions and when they do the interrogation you know a lot of times we get defensive because we feel like you know you know we've not done anything because our cops are pretty smart they know within a span of like 5 minutes who's lying who's telling the truth all of that 
and uh, definitely if someone's coming with no proof uh, but i would say just in terms of like answering all you know what your truth is and get upset with them they have to do their job they have to follow protocol so that was actually the best advice we got we were told just answer all the questions and tell your truth so and uh, let me ask you this how how did they treat you did they treat you as an equal were they you know they were being nice and understanding the situation that you guys were in or were they condescending and just not nice towards you guys so i think they were surprised that we landed up there without a summons okay. because generally they're supposed to send you a summons but we didn't know that uh we just said we don't want to live like you know uh <laughs> refugees <laughs> like running around not sure what we're supposed to do where we're supposed to stay whether someone's going to land up at our place and just arrest us we didn't know what was going to happen so we actually said let's just go to the police station and say this is our truth and like you know just figure from there so we just landed up there so they were all surprised and said oh you didn't have to come because we would have we have to first call you so that was the first thing that we realized that you know actually don't panic wait till you receive a summons only after you receive the summons do you have to actually do anything about it uh we also had another issue so the thing is we were not from the same state so we had a language barrier so we had to take a criminal law we took a criminal lawyer along with us uh that's not generally liked by the cops they don't like a lawyer coming in and speaking to them but uh you know they they have this a bit of an ego thing but we explained it as we really don't know the language we need someone to speak the language we need someone to translate what you guys are saying and uh you know that would be great like it would just be easier for us if we had a lawyer there and it's only for that purpose solely for that purpose because we don't know the language so we did take a lawyer i think we were also very humble i think uh that also helps uh like even my brother the one thing that they did was they separated my brother from the both of us and i think that was a little scary um because you know it's tougher for i guess even cops to do something to women so we somehow felt if three of us are together uh you know they probably be a little better with my brother but they did separate us and we were a little scared but he said it was fine he's like they did ask questions they did question him about everything they went through the whole first information report and they asked him about everything and asked for his proofs all of that uh but it was just the line of questioning sometimes that does come off as offensive <laughs> but i think it's necessary to keep your calm and like not be upset but i'll tell you uh, one thing you know after this i uh, i actually looked up you know there are these videos on youtube about uh you know your body language and stuff like yeah. that and you know we did get a little upset uh at certain questions and it was question the reason i'm saying we get a little upset is because um <clears throat> some things are obvious yeah. and they still will ask you the question uh but when i actually looked up this body language thing they said it is normal for an innocent person to get upset so it actually i was actually relieved <laughs> when i watched that later on cuz i said cuz my aunt said you know i think you messed up you know you shouldn't get upset you shouldn't be hot tempered we weren't yelling at them but i think it was just our 
anxiety or I don't know what it was, but I was just like, why don't you understand that, you know, we aren't to blame. We've actually got the proof all here. And like, why do you not understand what's going on? Well, yeah, I mean, there's, but, there's, uh, there's a different psychology to that whole thing of being interrogated, having to answer questions. They look at your body language. They look at, yeah. you know, many times you're blinking, which yeah. way you're looking when you're talking. Yeah, there's a whole, whole psychological trait yeah. that they go through when they're doing that kind of stuff and while they were respectful uh they never let us forget that we are the accused so oh. okay. uh so they were they were polite but they weren't like you know we we it, it wasn't like they they looked at us and acted like we were innocent they were like we're still checking this out so you know uh we'll know at the end of our investigation which is i guess the right way to be right yeah. so anyway so they did this then they came to bombay for an investigation uh a, about a month or two months later they came to bombay for an investigation because they actually had to see our house do all of that they actually took our cctv you know there's a dvr they took <laughs> the dvr with them and uh, they did everything they had to do they took photographs they did all of that um and after that i mean there wasn't really any any we didn't really hear back from them in the meantime she filed a, a gnw petition which is basically the guardians and wards petition uh which is related to custody uh as soon as she filed that uh, i think we had a, our first hearing on august 22nd and at, on the first hearing date itself we filed our rebuttal like all of it with proofs and everything and the judge actually seemed like uh they were inclined to you know give us at least a visitation order yeah you know so uh the thing is after that literally in the next hearing they said that they will give the order in the next hearing and in the next hearing she withdrew her case so <laughs> legally we have heard that uh it was a bad decision or bad move on her part but we are yet to see uh where that was a bad move like i have not seen any repercussions to that other than the court fine her like 5000 rupees which i think is about 60 dollars which is really nothing but uh, for withdrawing the case and wasting the court's time they charged her 60 dollars but uh, other than that like it was really uh, there was really no punishment for that and uh, so she and then she and her excuse for Uh, the the reason rather that she gave for withdrawing the case was because she said that she wants to get reliefs under the domestic violence act and that's why she's withdrawing this case which shows very clearly that her only intention was to get money out of this case and the minute she felt she wasn't going to get the money immediately here and there was going to get a we were going to get a visitation possibly she decided to withdraw it so to me like it's ob- it should be obvious to the court but there was there was no action taken till date there's no action taken or any understanding also by any judge saying you know what it's very obvious that her intention is only getting money and the minute she realized that the visitation would be given she said i can't let my the my pawn my only trump card yeah. be you know uh, uh you uh, like actually be given away like if if he's allowed to see the child there is no way he's going to settle and i think at every point she thought uh she could get a settlement to happen immediately 
so she probably felt this was the best way so with uh, filing this under the reliefs under domestic violence she managed to get uh, an ex parte order uh, for maintenance and also uh, the ex parte order also said that uh, there was a restraining order on my brother so he could not call email speak to the child speak to her or anything so, so that how long has it been yeah. since he's seen his son uh so actually he has seen his son since but uh we had to wait a while till he actually got a proper visitation order i think uh he got his first visitation order i'll tell you his first visitation order was i think um uh, uh about a year and a half about 10 months later 10 months later he got his first and it was just for a couple of hours it was uh for physical visitation and then covid started so after that he couldn't see his child anyways so so he hasn't, hasn't seen his son since then so yes for a while he did not see his child during covid uh but they gave him a then we asked for another visitation order and they said we could speak to the child every day uh for an hour and she wasn't letting the child get on the call so uh there were about 600 viol- visitation violations oh, uh holy. with just the call and no action against her so uh yeah so it was pretty tough and then uh, a little after covid again uh, we got another visitation order but it's every two weeks for 5 hours on a sunday uh he gets to see the child in obviously in bangalore but imagine like he lives in bombay and he has to keep traveling every two weeks to a different city for just 5 hours so it is a bit of a ridiculous order after so many years we're four years in now and he's still with this ridiculous order how uh, his relationship with his son when he does get to see them well, that's the only good thing alan like i think our bond was so strong like uh you know i think the thing is the four years that the child was in bombay it was pretty much my brother raising the child with my mom and me so the child's bond with us was there like she used to go on vacations and leave the child behind and like do and she solo vacations <laughs> so uh so the child did have a bond with us he was very comfortable and he still is very comfortable with us i think what has changed is uh and this is where you realize that there is abuse uh going on and uh the parental alienation is working is the need to protect bad behavior right like even with spouses with a covert narcissist they feel the need to protect bad behavior and i think that's a red flag for all men like you need to recognize where you are being this uh perfect masculine man and like protecting your family and where you are protecting bad behavior yep. and that's where you recognize the difference if you are protecting bad behavior or making excuses for bad behavior you should know you are in you are with an abusive person like an abusive partner yep. uh and the same goes for kids when you see a child making protecting their parent when it actually should be the other way around that's when you recognize the child is an abusive is in an abusive relationship with a parent and uh that's where my nephew is at with his mom right he is constantly protecting her bad behavior he doesn't want to uh, say she's doing anything wrong 
like i mean i don't know i don't know what uh, how it was with you alan but uh, if a child is even trying to say it's not my mom it's my grandmom it's not it's not her it's it's somebody else who is you know doing this i don't know how it was for you but i'm just saying like to me that's a red flag when i see that because i say i mean the mother has the last say in that situation so even if the grandmother is saying whatever she wants the mother can always say no i'm still going to ensure that my child meets his father because that is best for my child yeah as parents one needs to protect the child Absolutely. nobody else really? is going to look out for your child you do unless you are in a Absolutely. Yeah. So, nope. I yeah. I agree with you one hundred percent. And you know, with my personal situation, my son and I had such a strong bond, like your brother yeah. and nephew. That you know, even though we went through all this stuff, it didn't really have a negative effect on our relationship, yeah. which yeah, I'm so very thankful for. I mean, obviously, I have full custody of my son now, but yeah. you know, back then during the very formative years. it could have yeah. very easily gone so and i i yeah. thank god every day that it did not and you can tell my brother and he my brother is not abusive because the child does not feel the need to protect my brother yeah. he recognizes that my brother is there to protect him so there has been a situation where the child was called into called into the judge's chamber chambers and um the child actually lied uh mm-hmm. to protect his mother and he was yeah. okay with lying and saying maybe my father did uh, uh bought this chose the book so she was complaining about a book that my brother bought for the child he bought him three books he made the child choose those books and she had already trained the child to say that uh the father chose these books so the judge asked the child and the child said maybe he did do it so i think these are all signs where you recognize that a child has been tutored you recognize yep. that the child feels the need to protect one parent <laughs> and does not feel the need to protect the other because he knows the other parent loves him no matter what yep and, well, uh, and, and a lot of times yeah. from what i've seen with situations like that where you have the child protecting mom's bad behavior the child's been coached yeah. number 1 Number 2, yeah. mom has told the child multiple times, well, you know, you don't want this to happen to mom, do you? Mom will get taken yeah. away if it happens. And they put the child in this really negative spot where the child knows that they're lying, but that love that they yeah. have for mom overwhelms, you know. Like you said this protective nature to try and protect mom because of yeah. what mom has told them could happen. And the this- she's a victim right she's the victim. a victim in every situation so uh the child feels the need to protect the mother and uh it can only happen with an abusive parent generally a mother who is not abusive like i would say like in my case my mom was not an abusive parent she was a strict parent and i neither my brother nor i ever felt the need to uh, make excuses for her being a strict parent we always told everybody how strict she was with both of us we never felt the need to protect her and say no she wasn't strict we we told everyone she's a really strict parent and uh you know i mean we never felt the need to protect her and that's that's just how it is with uh parents who are not uh abusive yeah you know yeah. and they're not playing the victim all the time and that's just how it uh it is so so for me these are all red flags i feel like judges lawyers uh 
they need to pick up on these things or maybe they do and they as you said they just don't care they I, just, I just don't really think they don't care i i mean most of these judges and lawyers they they are smart enough to be able to see through it i mean god sakes there's enough case law out there there's enough psychological studies out there that are available for anybody that shows this yeah. kind of behavior that they're well aware of it they just don't care yeah yeah but so before she filed this custody petition my brother had actually filed for divorce in bombay uh because of the fir he had grounds then to file for divorce uh so he filed for divorce and then she decided to transfer the case to bangalore which is where she stays and all women can do that they can transfer the case also to any uh place that they wish to so she filed a transfer petition most most of the time uh in india the supreme court does grant uh the transfer but i think it's essential to recognize that in a lot of these kind of cases it's always a a delaying tactic so even at the supreme court uh what my brother did is he just agreed to the transfer he didn't uh, object to the transfer and as soon as she realized that he was agreeing to it and the supreme court was going to uh transfer it he said okay i don't mind you transferring it but can you please combine the case so that it's easier for me because i don't live in the same city so the supreme court said they will do that and immediately she objected to that and she said no we don't want it combined so the supreme court a judge actually said why do you not want to combine like give me a, a reason to me it makes sense for everybody to have a combined case so that all of you all only have to attend one court otherwise you have to attend the criminal court you have to attend the family court and it doesn't make sense so uh she couldn't come up with anything so the supreme court judge said if you are going to object to this and uh for no reason he's like i'm going to keep it in bombay so he actually threatened her there itself and then her lawyer said no it's fine um uh, i we will transfer it it's fine we can combine it so he so he actually put in the order but then her lawyer said uh that you have to uh and that's the thing right they they managed to find these loopholes for women right so the lawyer said you cannot rule on it being combined he has to apply to the high court of that state and ask for it to be combined there is so wow. yeah so the supreme court judge then actually wrote in his uh judge in his order that we have to go to the high court and apply for it so this is just more of an expense right like yeah. one it's would think the supreme court yeah the supreme court can overrule everybody but they as well said okay it's not in our jurisdiction so we are going to uh that she is not going to oppose it at least he wrote that that she is not going to oppose it at the high court but you will have to uh ask for this at the high court given an application at the high court and then the high court will you know uh grant it based on you know whatever they feel but it was just ridiculous so it was a delaying tactic so the case did not come up till the whole high court uh appeal happened and you know that ran its course and then finally it came to the family court combined so there's been a lot of that happening like a lot of delaying tactics used and uh last was it it was in 2021 actually that one of the times when we were having a call so the child generally comes on for like a couple of seconds and then runs off and says i've got to go and he literally says the same phrase every single time bye i got to go play bye i got to go play like each and every time we get on the call he say bye i got to go play so she gets him on the call and we found that he actually had a black eye one of the times 
uh, and we noticed it for the next 12 days. We we filed an immediate urgent application at the court, and they gave her two months to reply. What? When two the child has yeah, and the yes. judge at one point even said, "Bring the child to my chambers," and she did not bring the child to the chambers, and there was no punishment for that. So, in some ways, I. I mean, I'm going to leave it to everyone to to wonder what happened in this case. But like, two months, I mean, the child's bruise is going to heal. Oh yeah. And two months later, yeah. And we said we just want a medical examination to be done immediately. And they gave her two months, and then she said, "Okay, we can do the me medical examination, but my dad will do it." And we were like, because her dad's a doctor yeah, as well. Yeah, that's not bias or anything. Come on. Yeah. So then we objected to that, and then she suggested a hospital, and we agreed to that hospital because we're not from Bangalore. It didn't make a difference to us. We just wanted the child checked. Although we did point out to the judge that it has been two months, so the child's bruise has healed. Yeah. So, but anyways, we accepted that, and they had a. And this is where I thought our lawyer. It, it was a bit strange that the lawyer. Our lawyer did not object to it being done two months later. Like we could have just said, it doesn't make sense to do this two months later. He did mention it, but he still agreed for the medical examination. The medical examination happened, and uh, later on we found out that the doctor who conducted the medical examination actually works with this girl's aunt, Ouch. like with her staff. Wow. And. We found out that it was all a complete plan. You know, they took two months. They planned everything out, and we agreed to it like fools. And now, on record, the doctor's report says that the child was absolutely fine, and the doctor has gone out of his way to even write about the child being very happy in his environment, very happy with his school. With his new school that she has put him in, very happy with everything, and he's very well adjusted. He's a very smart child. He's all of these great things, and this has nothing to do with his eye. And the doctor says, "I don't know about his eye because you know it's not injured." So it was all a sham, and wow. uh, I think, and that's where I suddenly realized, like, the child's interest is not put first at all. No. Nope. And uh when we finally did get a visitation and we asked the child about it he just said no nothing happened. Um and uh, actually after this I think he even had a bruise on his forehead and he kept saying nothing happened. He changed his story a couple of times. And to me if an 8-year-old boy especially injures like falls down I think it's completely normal for a child to fall down. so to have an excuse or not or like him not wanting to tell us what happened seems a bit strange like if you fallen down in school just say you fallen down in school oh well, yeah like and what's the big deal taking it happens all the time to go through and get it examined and all that other stuff yeah now that something's funky's up so um i mean i would say like that was one of the toughest periods of this this whole thing is to feel that in some way the child is being abused and especially cuz she has mentioned that her father used to beat her and her sisters with a belt um i mean in my household like no one beat us like that
you know it wasn't like crazy and my my dad was very against you know uh hitting kids and stuff like that so just like imagining that our child is going through something like this and keeping quiet about it to protect his mother uh is is scary it is uh you know and uh the scary part is that it could go on for years and there's nothing we can do we're helpless and no child's rights organization seems powerful enough to do anything including the child with the children's welfare commission mm-hmm. uh i don't think they really can do anything you know man so i i feel bad to i i feel like i'm outing authorities but feel like if they could do something they would right like there's no reason not to well, you know you can just you know and they need to be outed that that's that's the truth of it they need to be yeah. outed if they know that something is going on and they are not doing anything about it i mean all these officials they take an oath at least over here yeah. in in the US yeah. they take an yeah. oath to uphold the yeah. law when they take that office and if they're knowingly not doing something they're breaking their oath that is yeah. the law they needed to be they need to be outed yeah yeah so i mean this is the situation with him right now and like uh we did get one vacation last year for 5 days his vacation was a total of 16 days uh but they gave us only 5 days and they only ruled on one vacation so even though our application was for all vacations uh and actually it was for inter- interim custody as well uh based on the parental alienation the abuse and all of these things like we have proofs for everything and in spite of that they just gave us 5 days um for one of his vacations last year and uh that was it and then uh before the december break again we asked them for uh, a part of the vacation at least or the full vacation and uh, the judge didn't even have the time to see our case so we got nothing in the december break and uh, this year they're claiming that all uh cases from all applications filed in 2022 will be viewed only on thursdays of every week so wow. basically now it's going to be delayed even further because it's only being viewed on thursdays and all the cases from last year all the applications from last year will be viewed only on thursdays so i really don't know how this works i also find it strange that you know when you are giving maintenance and uh you know there was also one more thing when they were giving us the visitation for the vacation last time the application was purely for visitation they weren't supposed to rule on anything else but the judge suddenly at the end of it when sh- she brought up that his school fees at uh the school that she has put him in without my brother's knowledge has to be paid and my brother's not been paying that school fees fees my brother's actually been paying the bombay school fees because the child is still enrolled there she didn't get a leaving certificate from here but she enrolled the child there uh the court suddenly decided like literally put my brother in a corner and he said you won't get your visitation if you do not pay the school fees so tell us how much of the school fees you will pay so for my brother he had to make a choice in 2 seconds about whether he gets to see his son 
or he gets a part of the vacation for five days, or he uh, doesn't get anything at all. So uh, he yes, literally sir. agreed to paying a part of the school fees, even though he's paying the school fees in Bombay, uh, because I mean it's a choice between his child and money, yep. and most fathers choose their child. Yep. So, I mean, there it is, right there. We talked about it at the start that you know it's. No matter what, regardless of whether or not, you know, a court system or a government gets a piece of the child support money like they do here, I yeah. think ultimately it always circles back around in some form or fashion to money. Yeah. It's what makes the world go around. But that's where I question the system because this application was purely for visitation. Yep. It wasn't, they weren't supposed to rule about maintenance, about child support about school fees, about anything. Those are separate applications. And actually, there was a stay in another court on the school fees for, uh, there was a stay in, an, in the sessions court uh, for this school fees application that she had put in because the family court had ruled on the school fees having to be paid. And the sessions court actually said that the judge had not applied their mind, had not looked at the proofs, had not looked at anything before uh, giving an order. So the Sessions Court had actually put a stay on this. And then at the High Court, where we had filed for our visitation application, they actually overruled the Sessions Court stay, did not look at any proofs, and took a decision. That's and sounds typical. That's sounds like the court system. Mess. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like the court system here. They just, they kind of yeah. do whatever they want. They don't give a shit what another court said or what another judge ruled. It's... You know, it's like you're at, you're at the mercy of whatever judge you get yeah. that day, whatever they're going to do, they do whatever they want. And with that being said, Taj, we've come to the end of this episode. Yeah. Do you have advice for any fathers out there, especially any fathers in India? Because as I'm watching comments scroll by, I definitely see some folks from India yeah. have joined us. You know, if you want to say something to them, now's the time. <laughs> I would actually say push and fight for fight your case, fight your case out and see it through its logical conclusion. Not necessarily because you'll win, but because we actually need to change the system. And I think as long as men go out of court and settle, there will never be a change. There is no reason for things to change because everyone is making money off your settlement. So push and fight for, fight for your kid, fight to win the case. Uh, and fight for there to be a change in the laws. Like I feel men in India also, uh, the thing is I feel men in India also don't, aren't forthcoming really with uh, the issues that they're facing. They don't really want to talk about it. Uh, they sometimes just want to be done with it. And I understand that. Uh, I also feel they need to unite a little more. I think men don't unite as much as women. Yeah. Like you will find, if something, if there is a case with a woman, uh, all the women will be sharing it, talking about it, and there'll be a discussion about it on every single platform, on every news channel, everything. I mean, why aren't the men who are on news channels, who are hosts, why aren't they talking about men's issues? Uh, I find there's not as much, like, men don't unite as much as women. And I think that's another issue. Uh, with uh, why like men's rights are not being looked at as much 
And I think I've already mentioned the red flags, so I don't want to go through that again. But I think definitely look for those red flags. Definitely see where you are playing a role in assisting your spouse in getting you to that place where, you know, you are uh, separated from your child. You are paying out a whole lot of money, and see where you are uh, assisting her in that. And I would say a lot of men do assist their spouses in some way, and uh, encourage them to. to get to that stage where they they know that they can get everything out of out of you they can get your money they can get your child and uh literally just like destroy you yeah so yeah very wise words tosh very wise words and you are spot on about when you say that men don't come together men don't unite as well as women yeah. do absolute truth I mean, I see it here in the United States. I've seen it in basically every country where I've talked to fathers where it's going on. We just don't unite. There's something about that where I don't know if we're just embarrassed to admit the things that are going on in our lives. You know, I yeah. think a lot of it is we feel that that makes us less of a man. If we yeah. talk about the problems that we're having, society doesn't want to hear about it. Society yeah. doesn't encourage that. So I think it's it's a multi-layered thing, but you are spot on with that. We have got to get better at uniting. We could change yeah. a lot of stuff if we could actually unite. Yeah, absolutely. And I do want to say one thing to women. <laughs> uh, I do think, like, I mean, there are a lot of popular opinions, and you get more views and all of that with those popular opinions. But I think at some level, you need to look at what's right, and you know, fight for what's right instead of what's popular. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think. That's the only thing I have to say to women because I think a lot of women sit on the fence because it's convenient, oh, yeah. uh, you know, and they stay silent, or they, you know, they just they just would rather not uh, help a man. Also, they'd rather spread the gossip of a woman than help a man. So, I I would just say like just do what's right, you know, figure out for yourself what's right. Don't just go by go on face value by what someone's telling you. Don't go by random news reports. Uh, find out for yourself what's right because today the media is bought. Most of the media is bought. Um, <laughs> you know, and for us, I know, like we, it was the front page of all newspapers, and uh, like the leading newspapers in India. And I mean, everybody plays a role in this. Like even the media. I mean, imagine like they just don't verify any information that they put on the front page. And uh, it is sad, but I, I I do want to tell women like just do what's right, you know. Search yep. your soul. Um, yeah. And you you obviously know what's right and what's wrong. Yeah. You know, choose to do the right thing. Don't just go searching for social media clout because that's one of the things we see today. There's so many young women that follow the Kim Kardashians of the world, the yeah. Cardi B world, the Meghan Markles of the world. Yeah. And they their life off of that don't don't and be as that much as you want and as much as you want to hurt men like recognize that you are hurting like a whole generation of children and uh that's going to be the future of our world i mean the world that we're living in so i think it's something that we really need to do deliberately and consciously and make sure that we're we're doing what's right by all of them it's a generation of broken people raising broken people exactly Taj, I yeah. want to thank you for coming on again. I know it's morning over there in Bombay. Yeah. I want to wish you a happy, very great day. It was awesome talking to you. Thanks. And I definitely want to come on again anytime you got any kind of update with your brother. 
Sure. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Have a great yeah. day, Tash. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, guys. So that was an extra long episode with Taj over in Bombay, India. Seems like no matter where we go, it's the same story. It doesn't seem to, you know, matter what country it is, you know, what borders we cross. It's the same bullshit when it comes to the family court system. So hopefully that'll change sometime in the future. But until then, I'll just keep telling your guys the stories. So that's going to wrap up this episode of The Father's Truth. I am Alan Donovan. I will see you guys again real soon. Everybody have a great day. Stay safe. Thank you for joining us and listening to The Father's Truth. If you would like to be a guest or know someone with a story that needs to be heard, email Alan Donovan now at thefatherstruth at sohomail.com.